middle of uh, Jesus's Sermon on the Mount, probably the most well-known sermon that, that Jesus teaches in Matthew 5 through 7. This morning we're starting chapter 6, and one of my old pastors uh, used to go, whenever we would start a new chapter, he would, he would say, all right, take a moment, turn to the person next to you and say, welcome to chapter 6. Uh, so if you would please uh, turn to the person next to you and say, welcome to chapter 6. Um, what we what we see here in the Sermon of the Mount is the is the the master teacher at work. Um, Jesus, as we know, is is more than just a a good moral teacher. Uh, he is God Himself. Uh, but here we see uh, Jesus teaching us. He, in a sense, peels back the law of God. Peels back. Uh, the commandments of our Lord and shows us the, the love and the character uh, of our Creator. And so um, this morning, uh, we're looking at uh, what, I've, what I've titled this sermon, the, the Secret Life of the Christian. And my, my main point uh, that we'll see throughout this text um, is as Christians, we seek to live holy and righteous lives to glorify God not in order to be seen or to be praised by others. And so with that in mind, would you please stand as we read God's word? Every week we, we stand as we uh, read the scriptures because it is God's word. This is God's word communicated to us. And so we approach it with reverence and awe and respect. And so follow along with me in Matthew chapter 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who is in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who is in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask them. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast... Anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret will reward you. Pray with me. 
God, you are, you are good, um, and we praise you this morning. We, we thank you for world relief and, and, and what they're doing here in Thurston County. Lord, would we, um, would, we seek, would we seek the good of those around us? And Lord, as we approach this text this morning, um, which convicts us straight to the heart, um, to our motivations, Lord, would we, uh, would we seek forgiveness? Uh, would we seek your face, Lord, that we would be, uh, we would be committed to the reward that you give? Father, affect our hearts this morning. As we, as we hear your word preached, Lord, would you not leave us the same? Would we not leave this building the same as when we walked in, Lord, but would we be even in a, in a little way transformed by uh, your spirit this morning? Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts that respond to you. Holy Spirit, would you help us to focus? Would you help us to um, not be distracted this morning? Lord, that we may see your glory, and as we sang, um, Lord, you are holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty. And so, Lord, we worship you this morning um, in, in, in praise and in honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you please have a seat? A few years ago, um, a, a, a term started coming up uh, in the news articles and in the social media, um, particularly referring to young professionals in the workplace. Uh, this term became known as the imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome was actually a, a term first coined by a psychologist in the 1970s, and it describes the experience of being praised at work for something that you did, or how good you are at your job by someone else, someone else is praising you, um, but on the inside, you feel like you are, you are failing, you're barely getting by, um, you're not doing a good job at all. It was like in school when you had, had a book report and, and you got graded and you got an A plus on that book report, but you know full well you did not read that book. Was that, was that just me or was that anyone, anyone else? It is the experience where you are, you are fooling, imposter, fooling those around you. And soon they're going to find out. It's not just uh, in the workplace, uh, but also parents uh, often feel this way too. They, they get praised for how they parent their children and discipline their, their children. Man, your kids are so good. Knowing full well, they just let them have it in the car on the way to church. Most research shows that everyone at some point in their life has, been, has, has had to deal with this feeling of being an imposter. But it seems to be common uh, and growing in common, uh, uh, commonality, uh, especially young, young individuals. And, and we can discuss the idea of, of, of the merit of imposter syndrome at another time. But what I, the, the reason why I bring it up, because I think it highlights, I think it highlights uh, something that we are all aware of. That often our external actions do not match our internal motivations. There's a disconnect between the world out there and the world in here. And Jesus comes and addresses this issue this morning. Jesus begins in Matthew chapter 6 with a, with a summary sentence, a thesis statement, if you will. Uh, and the rest of the section is three examples that support his 
summary sentence. And so, um, what I want to do this morning is, is highlight these three examples and explain what he's talking about, identify a, a glaring issue, and then help us to center our motivations to Jesus. And so, verse 1, Jesus has this summary statement. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. That's the main point of Jesus' uh, point here in this section. Beware, beware of doing good things. Beware of doing good works in order to be seen by other people. See, at the, at the end of, of chapter 5, uh, Jesus was talking about, hey, don't do these things, don't do these evil deeds, but, but also check your heart to make sure that you don't have the evil intentions as well. It's not good enough just to not murder, also do not be angry in your heart. And what Jesus is doing now is it's not just about doing the good things, but also check your heart in finding out why you are motivated to do those good things as well. And so to prove this point, to prove this thesis statement, Jesus gives three examples of giving and a prayer and of fasting. And these were not arbitrary things. These were not just things I was like, all right, I got to find out how to explain this point. I'm just going to choose some random things. Giving, fasting, and prayer uh, was the first century way to become a holy and righteous person. First century Judaism, first century rabbis constantly said, do you want to become a righteous person? Give, fast, and pray. Those were the three things that they taught. If you wanted to be holy and righteous, these were the three things that you did. And so what Jesus is doing is he is expanding on these teachings and looking at the heart of righteousness. And so I wanted to, to dive through and look through these three examples. So first, giving to the needy. Thus when, uh, this is verse two, thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. See, giving, giving to the needy um, is something that is very close to the, the heart and character of God. We see giving to the needy throughout Scripture. Deuteronomy 15 uh, says, If among you one of your brothers should become poor, in any of your towns within your land that the Lord is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. First John 3 says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? First Corinthians, uh, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 9, Paul tells uh, that God loves a cheerful giver. See, in, in, in giving, we, we imitate the very character of God. God gives generously to those who need it. He, he lavishes on us grace and mercy, the, the, the spiritual riches of Christ, as we're taught in Ephesians 1. And so because of that, we are free to give away material things and money to those who need it. And so I'd encourage you to give generously, to give sacrificially to those around you. 
If you have too much stuff in your house, liquidate it. Sell it so that you have more money to give. It's a good thing to give to the needy, and we should seek always to give more. However, Jesus goes deeper. He goes deeper than the merely the, 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 the action of giving. He says, when you give, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do, that they may be praised by others. And commentators are, are, are kind of split on what this actually looked like, um, but uh, what we understand is often the, the, the wealthy and religious leaders of the day, uh, they would make a giant show of it when they gave. They would come in with trumpets, blast it in the marketplace, blast it in the busy sections of the city, and they would say, we are, we are here to give money. Come to us, we will give you something. Come if you need something. Come grovel at our feet because we are generous and you are needy. So come, please, we will give you something. And there would be trumpets sounding and they would make a show of it. And I, I don't think this is merely a, a first century problem. This is evident all over our world. Uh, people want to be known for how generous uh, they are. For example, uh, in my high school, uh, there was uh, uh, this, this paver path between the cafeteria and the classrooms. And you might have seen this in, in, in different places, but um, on each pa uh, paver, in each brick on this path, there was a name of a person. There's a name of a person who gave a certain amount of money uh, to the school, and so they got their name on a, on a little brick. And the more money you gave, the bigger your brick was. Go to any college or university. Almost every building has a name on it. And it's usually named after someone who has given an enormous amount of money to that school. Think of the, the, the uber-wealthy uh, among us. The, uh, uh, for example, uh, when they give, it almost always becomes a national news article. Think of Melinda Gates gave $10 million. Jeff Bezos gave away $12 million. Now, I've never, I've never given away that much money. So I'm not, I'm not entirely sure how this process works, but it almost always makes national news when they give uh, to... Uh, these places. It's almost intentionally public giving. Now, getting our, our names listed on a paver or in the news might very well be the trumpets of old. Or, or maybe in another way, uh, when, we, when we bring our, our, our baby bottles filled with coins, we, we make sure they rattle a little bit as we're walking to the, to the lobby. We slam them down a little bit so people around us can know, hey, I, I'm given a baby bottle, I'm given uh, my change uh, to uh, uh, options, and we want people to know. We want people to see, oh man, that person, that person's holy. That person's righteous. Look at how many baby bottles they give. Jesus tells us to give in, a, in another way, in a different way. He tells us to give in secret, to give with, with such self-forgetfulness that we don't even know how much we are giving. 
And I don't think he's advocating for just writing a blank check and just handing it to people on the street. Uh, But what I think he is advocating for is that we would give in such a way that when we drop money in the offering box with our right hand, we are not waving and trying to gain attention with our left hand. Don't make a show of it. Do it quietly. We give in secret so that no one else knows we gave or knows how much we gave. We fight the desire to be seen doing good things. The next example that Jesus gives of righteous living is prayer. Look at verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. In order to be seen as, uh, uh, as holy people, uh, people in Jesus' day would go to the street corners. They'd go to the synagogues. They'd go to the marketplace where they would pray loudly so people would see just how amazing they are. There would often be set times of, of prayer throughout the day, so these people always made sure they were in the busy store when it was time to pray so people around them could see them. They were the ones who would pray in the lobby at church, so all the congregation would just see how holy and committed they are to God. Are your best prayers reserved for when people are around? Are your best prayers reserved for our monthly prayer night, when other people can hear you pray? Do you love to be the the, the one to pray in table groups? so that those around you might hear you pray? Do you, does, your, does your voice change? Uh, does your voice become more elevated and epic when you pray in public? Do you pray on the street corners so you could be seen by the passerbys? Jesus says instead, go into your, go into your room and shut the door. Literally, it's, it's broom closet. Go into your broom closet, you know, the one with, with no windows, so no one can see you, and, and pray there. There is a more holy prayer than any prayer in public. Jesus continues, and, and he tells us how to pray. Um, he lists the Lord's Prayer. Um, and that, this isn't the only way to pray, but it's a pretty incredible way to pray. Um, and uh, it shows that we trust God. Uh, it shows that we give glory to God. We ask for forgiveness. We ask uh, to forgive those who have sinned against us. Uh, We ask God to be our refuge and our shield and our protector. The Lord's Prayer um, is an amazing way to pray. And I would love to to go through and break down every single little facet, every single little point of the Lord's Prayer, uh, but I don't think that's the main point of what Jesus is trying to do here. And so if you want to dive more into the Lord's Prayer, I highly recommend for you a book uh, by a Puritan pastor, Thomas Watson, on the Lord's Prayer. Um, phenomenal book um, where he goes through word by word, phrase by phrase, looks at every different facet of the Lord's Prayer. Thomas Watson on the Lord's Prayer, fantastic book, highly recommend it. Jesus says to pray in secret with few words. And his third example that he uses is fasting, which I know all of us do all the time. Fasting is 
It's abstaining from earthly things, primarily food, but not only, uh, for a given time to increase our devotion to the Lord. The Jews had had set aside times throughout the year uh, to fast days and weeks. Individuals would would fast as as a means of removing obstacles between uh, them and God, that things that were getting in their way of their love of God. People would also fast throughout the Old Testament um, and in church history as a, as a way to inquire of the Lord for a specific need. For example, David, uh, King David, fasted so that God would relent uh, from punishing him with the death of his son after, after his adultery from Bathsheba. And so there would be uh, times where men and women would fast. And it's a holy work in which it tempers our desires our appetites, so that we may devote more and more of our hearts towards God. Now, this isn't a sermon about fasting, but it, but it makes sense that fasting is almost non-existent in our culture. In our American world where we gorge ourselves, treat ourselves, do not withhold anything we want, we consume and consume and consume, it makes sense that even the church rarely fasts. It might be the reason why our love for stuff is so high and our love for God is so low. Martin Luther famously said about fasting in Germany, I would also be glad if at certain times, once a week or as often might seem best, that there would be no evening meal except a piece of bread and something to drink to keep everything from being used up with the kind of incessant guzzling and gobbling that we Germans do and to teach people to live a little bit more moderately, especially those who are young, sturdy, and strong. See, fasting destroys our satisfaction with the things of this world and places it on God. When was the last time you denied yourself something in order to love God more? Not because it made you fat, or you had too many already, or you're, you're trying to eat clean, even if you had enough money to purchase it, am I denying eating this donut because I don't want to get fat or because I want to place my satisfaction in God? Now, in first century, people would fast. They would, they would make themselves look sad and gloomy, so that people would, would see them and go, hey, wh- what's wrong? You, you look so sad. What's wrong? Are you okay? And they would respond, I'm just so hungry. I'm fasting to be more holy. And you get the idea now. Jesus says, don't fast in order to be seen by others as more holy, but in secret, fast. Clean yourself up. Take a shower so that others may not see that you are fasting. So these are the, the three examples that Jesus gives. Good, holy, right things. We, we should do these things. We should pray and give and fast. Uh, but we should do them in such a way as not uh, for the purpose of being seen by others, but rather do them in secret. And so what are, what are some of the other deeds that we do? What are some of the other good deeds uh, that we do now in church that could fall into these examples. Jesus was giving a popular list of the deeds of his day. What are some of the deeds of our day? 
Do we not also follow this trend in, in seeking to show hospitality? I want people to think I am such a hospitable person, so I need to make sure they are overwhelmed with grace and love with the moment they enter my house. My house needs to be in great shape, so when they come over, they don't think I'm a slob, as of course, cleanliness is next to godliness. Maybe it's, maybe it's busyness. I need to be so busy all the time so people don't think I'm lazy. As one pastor put it, I need to make my life so constantly, conspicuously crazy. I love to tell people how busy I am. I'm always busy because I want them to think of me as a good person, that I'm not lazy. We do this for serving in church. I'm going to make sure that when I serve, people know that I serve. I need to feel needed by other people. Look at how much I do for the church. When I, when I go on a missions trip, I need to take a bunch of selfies and make sure everyone knows that I'm serving those who are less fortunate. I served at the food bank. Let me tell people. Are you the kind of person to be constantly talking about the good things you do in your life? Like fasting, we want people to see us struggle as we pursue holiness. Look at, look at how big my Bible is. It's so heavy. It's written all over. I'm so tired from waking up and reading my Bible early in the morning. My life is so hard and difficult because I want to follow Jesus. We are like Eeyore in so many situations. Thanks for noticing me. Again, all of these things are good things. We should be doing these things. But Jesus comes to us this morning and says it's not just that we do right things. We should give. We should pray. We should fast. We should serve in the church. We should do good things. But so many of these things should be done in secret out of the view of everyone else. But that leads me, that leads us to one glaring issue from this text. It was the question I was, uh, I was trying to answer uh, as I was reading this text. Shouldn't we do our good deeds before people? Is that, isn't that the question some of you are asking? Isn't that what Jesus said, we should do our good deeds before people? Uh, just a few verses before this in Matthew 5, 16, Jesus says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So Jesus says in Matthew 5.16, let our good works be seen by others, but here in chapter 6, he's saying, let us do our good works in secret. Does Jesus contradict himself? Did he forget what he said? Do we do our good works to be seen or not to be seen? Are we to do our good works on the hill, or are we to do them in the closet? And I think it'd be helpful to, to look at some of the specifics here to help us answer this question. And so we're going to get a little in the weeds right now, but I think it's going to be helpful for us to uh, apply this to our heart when we do good works. And so first, uh, first aspect to answer this question is Jesus' use of the word seen. In chapter 5, 16, Jesus says to let our light shine that they may see our good works. This is the Greek word orao, which literally means to stare at, to look at, 
There is something over there, and we see it. We hora'o it with our eyes. In chapter 6, 1, Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness in order to be seen by others. This is, this is a different Greek word. This is theaomai. It's not just to see something, but to notice something, to contemplate it more, to dwell on it, to fix your eyes and not let them go. You, you, do, a, you do a double take. See, teenage, teenage boys... They horao many girls in school, okay? But they theaomai that pretty girl who flips her hair. Does that make sense? You see a lot of people, but you notice your spouse. In the parable of the wedding feast in Matthew chapter 22, the, the master invites all these people from the streets and from the city to come into this wedding feast, but then he notices theaomai, someone who's in the wrong wedding garment. Theaomai is where we get the English word theater. So Jesus is saying here in chapter 5, we, we, we do our good works in public, but in chapter 6, we don't put on a show. We don't have everyone fix their attention on us. We don't have them notice us. We don't put on a theater. And second point related to this is Jesus' uh, use of the word hypocrite. Now, hypocrite in our day is, is someone who's two-faced, someone who says one thing and does another. That's not what it meant in the first century world. Uh, the Greco-Roman plays, uh, the actors were called hypocrites. That was literally what they were called. They, they would wear giant masks to communicate the emotions of their characters. So the actors, the hypocrites, uh, if they were purveying a, a character that was happy, they would wear a giant mask uh, so the people in the back could see uh, that this person was happy. Or same thing if this person was sad, this character was sad, they would wear a giant mask. And so what Jesus is, is doing here by using this word hypocrite is basically saying is that your outward actions don't match your internal motivations. You are wearing a mask. You are hiding your true intentions. You may be doing good things on the outside, but that's only because you're hiding your selfish heart on the inside. You're an actor. Are your good works an act? Are you merely putting on a show so people will applaud you? Is you doing good Christian things merely putting on a show? I, I, I don't know. I can't answer that for you. I can't read your mind or, or see your heart. That would make my job so much easier. But what I wanted to do was just to list off some, some questions that might help us diagnose our heart and why we do the things we do. And, and by the way, uh, pastors are not immune to this either. Often we need to constantly check our hearts lest we fall into doing good things only to look good. We preach only for the benefit of hearing how good you guys enjoy our preaching or how blessed you are by us. Now, now, all pastors do need encouragement, but also would you constantly pray for us that we would find our hope in Jesus and not in people liking us? 
Anyways, here's a, here's a few questions uh, which we can uh, use, and I pray the Holy Spirit will use to diagnose our hearts. Does your life in public match your private life? Are you kind and generous in public, but mean and a jerk in private? When you serve or you do something good, do you consider who is around before you do it? Do you constantly talk about all the good things you do? If no one was watching, would you still do that one thing? If no one ever knew in all of history that you did that good act, would you still do it? When you do your religious activity, reading your Bible, worshiping, praying, serving, what is the, what is the condition of your heart that is motivating you to do those things? And the final question, which I think continues to show the difference between Matthew 5.1 and Matthew 6, is who are you seeking to glorify? In chapter 5, we are to do our good deeds before others in public so that people may, may see them and glorify God. In chapter 6, the hypocrites do the good deeds so that they may be praised or glorified by others. So are you doing your good deeds with the mindset that people will look past you to God? Or are you doing your good deeds so that they may look straight at you? When considering doing our works before others and, or doing them in secret, uh, consider this quote by A.B. Bruce. He was a Scottish pastor from the 19th century. Uh, he said this famous quote, show when you are tempted to hide and hide when you are tempted to show. When you are tempted to hide your good works in the workplace or discount them for fear of what others might think, let them shine. Give glory to God. When you are asked why you did that good thing, give glory to God. God, there's a God who loves you and he has died for you. When you are tempted to do good things, to have everyone like you and approve of you, go into the closet. The last aspect of Jesus' teaching this morning that I want to cover um, is that of reward. Jesus says this word reward over and over again. See, in doing such good things, in religious activities such as giving, fasting, praying, reading your Bible, coming to church, there is a reward for them. The hypocrites, they, they blast a trumpet when they give, so others may notice him. Truly, they have received their reward. The hypocrites pray on the street so that others may notice them. They have received their reward. The hypocrites fast and disfigure their faces so others may notice them. They have received their reward. If we seek to do our religious actions in order to be noticed by others, our reward is that people see us. But that is the only reward that we get. There is no other reward beyond that. That's the effect of your good deeds. That people see us. That's all you get. If we seek to be noticed by people, there is no spiritual benefit other than people noticing us. All your hard work, all your serving, all your sacrifice, all your effort into putting 
and, and doing good things, if you do it for the praise of others, you get the praise of others, but you do not get the praise from God. How many of us are constantly saying, look at me, look at me, look at how impressive I am, look at all the good things we do of me as being awesome. Are we not like kids who constantly say, hey, mommy, watch this, watch this. Maybe the reason why some of us aren't growing in our faith is because everything we do is meant so that other people can see. We spend so much time trying to make ourselves look good to others without even giving a single thought to God. And Jesus is saying that other people may see it, but God does not. If in our giving we are blind to God, God is blind to our giving. If in our praying we are blind to God, God is blind to our praying. If in our fasting we are blind to God, God is blind to our fasting. Yes, if you do things for others, for the praise of others, you do get a reward, but that reward is only temporary. You might get the praise of people one day, but as we know, the next day you may very well lose it. Think about yourself in junior high or high school. Think about how much you, you considered what other people thought of you. The things you did, the people you hung out with, the clothes you wore. Think about how much you thought of that when you were in high school. You made sure you did the right thing. How does those people liking us benefit us now? We were so concerned about the opinions of others who really just years later are no longer in our lives and their glorification, their praising of us does not matter. God does not merely care that we do good things. He does want us to do good things, but we do good things for the right reasons. So even if Elon Musk can give away billions and billions of dollars, if he does it to make himself good, look good, it means nothing. Chasing the approval of others is so empty. It cannot last. Instead, when you give... When you pray, when you fast, do it in secret, and your Father, who is, sees you in secret, will reward you. When you pray, go into your room, pray to God who is in secret, and he who is in secret will reward you. Doing good deeds is in secret, doing good deeds in secret is an act of faith. It starts with the belief that there is a God who has complete knowledge of all things. The God who created the entire universe is here, imminent in all creation, and he sees all. There is nothing hidden in all creation from God's sight, as Hebrews 4.13 tells us. That means when you do good, God sees it. He sees you. When you pray in the inner closet of your house, no one else may see it, but God does. It takes an act of faith to believe that God sees you. There is no faith in requiring, in doing things where others can see it, because you know if they see it or not. But God sees you, Christian. Your crying out in prayer before God may not be known to other people, but it is known to God. Even if no one else sees your sacrificial giving, 
God does. The Christian you are in secret is the Christian you are before God. He sees what is done in secret. He sees it. Not only does he see what, he, what is done in secret, but he rewards what is done in secret. The approval of God is so much more weighty than the approval of man. We give up the earthly reward in order to obtain the heavenly reward. God's reward is eternal. It lasts forever. His, his blessings are endless. His grace is uncontainable. His mercy knows no ends. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. The reward from Jesus is eternal glory and everlasting joy. His reward is comfort that will last forever. The righteousness of God is an ever-flowing stream. The riches of his grace are immeasurable. His reward is every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God does not hold back, but his reward is unending. None of that can be said for any reward that comes from humans. Earthly rewards are like a small dew on a leaf. Heavenly rewards are like a vast, unending ocean. Earthly rewards can satisfy us for an instant. God satisfies us forever. So would you desire the heavenly reward? And if you do, you will not be put to shame, but you will be found not wanting more, but you will be satisfied forever. Do your good works in secret where your heavenly Father is, and he will reward you. And my last, my last question as we close is, how do we know? How do we know that the heavenly Father will reward us? How do we know that what Jesus is saying is true? If we do our good works in secret, no one's going to see. How do we know that God sees? How do we know that God will reward us? See, we, we look to Jesus. We consider Jesus. Jesus, when he was on earth, completely fulfilled the law of God. He did not fail at any point. He, he never disobeyed. He was tempted as we are, yet without sin. He was not merely outwardly righteous, but also inwardly righteous as well. His heart and mind always served God. He loved his neighbor as himself perfectly in every circumstance. While he was on earth, he did not see glory for himself, seeking to win the approval of man, but he sought to glorify God. John 2.25 says that people were believing in him due to the signs that he committed, but he did not trust or become a slave to their approval because he knew how humans are. But instead, he sought in everything to glorify God. John 17 says that Jesus glorified the Father while on earth, having completed the work he gave. And even when we consider our text this morning, we see that Jesus completed Matthew 6, 1 through 18 perfectly. All the good he did was always to point himself uh, beyond himself to the Father. And so based on this, the heavenly Father should have rewarded Jesus. But instead of receiving the reward, Jesus went to the cross. Instead, he gets the cross for, for selfish, glory-seeking, attention-starved people like you and me. Instead of taking the reward for himself, 
he goes to the cross so he so we can enjoy the reward that he secured. He always honored God in secret, but he was crucified in public for all the world to see. John 12:32 Jesus says that when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. Jesus is is publicly crucified. Not in secret, publicly lifted up on the cross for us so that his people may be drawn in and receive the reward of God. All the blessings and all the rewards that we receive is through Christ. We do not receive it any other way. In Jesus, we have the redemption from his blood, or by his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, immeasurable riches through Christ's death, as Ephesians tells us. And you can be sure that the reward for your faith is in Christ. Romans 8 tells us that God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, How will he not also graciously give us all things? If he has given us Jesus, he will surely give us the reward. So Timberline, trust that when you commit your life to a life of faith, to glorifying and seeking God in secret, God will reward you through Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we... We need you. We need you to do this, Lord. We are uh, glory-seeking, approval-desiring uh, people. And so, Lord, would you help us to place our eyes on you, to trust in you, um, knowing that you went to the cross for us. Lord, would you continue to be with us even now as we, as we take communion, as we finish our time in worship? Um, Lord, would we... Would we praise you and worship you for, um, for who you are and what you've done for us? Lord, bless us, help us to live in your grace and in your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. The ushers are going to come forward and dismiss us row by row uh, for communion. And I encourage you to, to take the time as you're waiting uh, to consider your motivation.